You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hey there, you're listening to The Agenda podcast, some of the best bits from Monday, February the 26th. Um, I had a little bit of a fakes focus for you on the show uh, today uh, as we looked at a number of issues uh, in and around uh, fakes. Started uh, on the back of a major conference on the counterfeiting problem uh, and the counterfeiting industry, which is growing globally at the moment. Uh, The conference itself was being held here in Dubai, examining the issue of fake goods and the impact that that has uh, on the retail markets the world over. Uh, Omar Abedat of Altamimi and Company was on hand to give us a little bit of insight into uh, the legal ramifications and the legal perspective on that one. Uh, we were also joined by Peter uh, Strykowski of the OECD, who gave us a sort of an international perspective on why this growing uh, issue was become a growing problem for authorities the world over, but also reiterating that whole point of personal responsibility. A lot of people saying, okay, but, you know, if I buy something, that's not going to have a massive impact on the industry. Peter took a different point on that one altogether. We also talked COVID. No, not before you start getting worried and checking the headlines, etc. We're talking COVID because of the research that's come out of COVID. It's been several years now uh, since uh, the COVID vaccines were released. So what sort of data, what findings have we got as a result of the side effects, uh, common and otherwise, from the vaccines? Well, that's something that we put to uh, Professor Jim Buttery of the Global Vaccine data network was kind enough to join us uh, from australia a little bit earlier on today so no fakes in that particular subject but back to the fakes when it came to all things property why dld the dubai land department issuing warnings and the threat of fines to those that didn't remove fake listings from their portals uh, or their platforms specifically to uh, real estate agents and real estate brokers here across the city now this seems to be an increasing problem as our very own uh, jen Crichton has uh, been explaining uh, in studio but we took this one up with Andrew Elliott of Chesterton's to see just how big a problem it is, but also what can be done about it. Uh, so all that and more, plus, of course, uh, little others talkers right here on the agenda. And of course, your thoughts coming through throughout the course of the morning as well. This is the Agenda Podcast. Good morning and welcome to the agenda. Just pausing to make sure that I had the right show that I was introducing there. This is The Agenda live on Dubai. I want a 3.8 FM. Uh, and great to have your company throughout the course of the morning. Into the afternoon. It's the morning into afternoon shift. Keep your thoughts coming through to us now. You can text us on 4001 WhatsApp, 0487 As I mentioned, you've got Jen, you've got Milan, you've got the rest of the team also on the ones and twos as we look to drive that conversation. It's a busy one for us on a Monday morning, kicking things off with a brand new week. And already we're getting messages coming in from listeners out there. So good to see. Uh, obviously, plenty for us to discuss. Let's start, though, with a question for you to kick things off this Monday morning. Are you partial to a, how do you put this politely, fake? Uh, By that, of course, I mean a cheeky counterfeit handbag, maybe a a pair of faux designer shoes, uh, or maybe sunglasses. There is uh, no shortage of uh, of options and, and variety out there. Maybe you've got a TV box. 
that lets you stream the latest movies, even though, technically speaking, you should be having to shell out for a cinema ticket. We want to hear your thoughts on this issue this morning. We want you to message us again. You can text on 4001. You can WhatsApp on 04871 This might seem like a fairly harmless way to save some dirhams for many, uh, but that ain't the case, according to a major conference on counterfeiting, which has just come to an end here in Dubai. In fact, officials there were told that criminal gangs are now making more money from intellectual property crimes than they are from drug trafficking. Revenue from IP crime is thought to have exceeded $43 billion in the EU alone in recent years, compared with $28 billion from drug-related activities. Uh, But can fakes ever be as harmful uh, as other things out there? Well, to find out a bit more about why faking it isn't a victimless crime, joined now on the teams by the partner and the head of intellectual property at Altamimi and Company. Let's take some legal advice if we can. Uh, from Omar Abedat, who's been kind enough to join us live. We've uh, thankfully been able to re-establish our connection with Omar. Omar, apologies for that one. A few a few gremlins in the system, as they say, but it's been sorted out now. So thank you again. Yes, sorry, we interrupted you. You were just telling us a bit more about the most common crimes when it comes to IP crime. Absolutely. The most com- common crimes with respect to IP violations, not only in the UAE, but globally, is really counterfeiting and counterfeiting perhaps more related to consumer goods which uh, is uh, uh, on the high side usually um, luxury fashion items Uh, but also over the years there has been counterfeiting in auto spare parts um, uh, medicines um, uh, mobile phone accessories uh, uh, and uh, Way before that, it was more on tobacco and uh, depending on the country. But um, you will find that uh, uh, illegal streaming related to copyright infringement uh, is uh, quite big in uh, countries where uh, sports followers, uh, whether it be it football or other sports, are uh, increasing globally because of the global competitions and the promotion of uh, football games. So I think counterfeiting has always been the major issue, but on the growing side, we're seeing a lot of illegal streaming. Is it on the rise? On copyright, yes, I would for sure say it is on the rise. And in terms of the concerns for officials uh, at the moment, I mean, look, I'm getting messages in. I'm not going to start reading the messages out, but there are certain people out there saying, look, me buying a, a fake handbag, etc. how much of an impact is that going to have? Why, why does this, the growth in this particular uh, industry or nefarious industry have posed such a concern for officials? Well, uh, I'll tell you the, the issue that, uh, consumers uh, comment uh, the the impact is is not uh, large is very erroneous. As a matter of fact, it is the mindset that it is an, a harmless crime is the disaster. Uh, the consumers are putting money into the pocket of illegal traders who do not uh, uh, spend any. Uh, uh, money for promotion, for uh, uh, marketing, uh, all the legal expenses 
and the legitimate expenses that are borne by the legitimate trader are uh, not spent by the counterfeiters. And, and therefore, you can imagine the margin of the counterfeiters is much, much greater than that of the trader selling genuine goods. Um, not only that, uh, many reports uh, conducted on a global basis have linked uh, counterfeiting business to actually uh, terrorist organizations, funding of uh, 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 human trafficking. So it, it, is, it starts as a counterfeiting, but as you go through the, the trail, you will find that this is linked to so many other crimes. Um, when we talk about uh, consumers uh, uh, buying counterfeit goods, we are really talking about consumers funding the operation of uh, uh, legit illegitimate trade. It is um, an issue that needs to be addressed. That's why we're talking about it this morning. Omar, I can't thank you enough for your expertise and your legal expertise on this one. Apologies for cutting you short on this occasion. A few issues uh, in the system. I'm sure you'll understand that. Those are the thoughts of Omar Abedat, the partner and the head of intellectual property at Al Tamimi and Company. Give us a good sound legal advice this morning. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Indeed it is, with you all the way through uh, until one o'clock this afternoon. We're talking fakes this morning. Thanks so much indeed for your text messages coming in. A lot of people sending in their thoughts on uh, text uh, on text message on these. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Look, I won't give you names with certain ones of these. I, I do understand the element of tongue-in-cheek that a lot of people uh, have uh, when it comes to a com- conversation like this, but we're trying to look at it from both sides of the story, so appreciate your thoughts. Uh, day, if somebody's been in touch this morning uh, saying, uh, whilst I understand the inherent human harm caused by counterfeit goods, uh, either through the manufacturer or often the pay of unskilled uh, labourers, um, please don't let us lose our dolce and karama. Thank you for that one. Keep them coming. Uh, a lot of other people also suggesting their thoughts as well. He said, look, you know, <laughs> jokes aside, when you look at some of the uh, markets that are available here, and there are some well-known ones. It's highly likely that both COVID and the subsequent cost of living challenges have driven counterfeit demand as people tighten their belts but still want to feel good about themselves with what they perceive as very low risk. Uh, thank you for those uh, thoughts uh, from uh, one of our listeners out there and others that have come through as well. In the meantime, though, we want to continue this conversation as we continue to talk fakes. Officials at a major counterfeiting conference, which concluded in Dubai over the course of the weekend, have been told that IP, IP, or intellectual property crime, is now generating more revenue for criminal gangs than drug trafficking itself. One of the major issues facing those charged with cracking down on the trade is in fakes is public opinion at the moment, because many people think that buying a fake handbag or watching an illegally downloaded movie is essentially a victimless crime, if you like, or at least one that only has a cost for extremely rich fashion or film industry bosses. Not so, says the industry and the conference in Dubai. In fact, counterfeiting is often funding more nefarious crimes. So to find out more about exactly why faking it is so harmful, earlier today, our producer, Jennifer Crichton, sat down with Peter Streisowski, 
who is an economist and head in and head of the working unit on countering illicit trade with the Paris-based Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or the OECD. He began by explaining why the international trade in fake goods has become one of such huge concern. I would say there are two big reasons why IP crime becomes today a really profitable business for criminals. The first one is that, well, in every product that uh, I or you buy, IP is there, right? IP is, is everywhere. Uh, I remember 50 years ago or 60 years ago when my parents were still young, they were telling me that, well, there was basically no IP. They could assess quality of a product just looking at it, right? Today, technology, knowledge, know-how, it's almost everything. Look at all these tech gadgets around us, right? I have no idea how are they made, yet they offer great functionalities. So IP is everywhere, not only technology, but also, you know, logistics, way to move product from A to B, improving its value, complex value chains, right? So IP is there, IP adds value, which also means that IP can be stolen. And these profits can be humongous. That's the first reason. The second reason is that, unfortunately, the complexity of supply chains makes enforcement of this particular crime really difficult, right? Customs, well, they are not, I would say, properly empowered to combat this risk. So why IP crime is flourishing? Because it's money, big money, easy money and safe money. Easy money and safe money, perhaps, but who are the victims? I think there's an idea, especially when people are are looking at, I'm going to go and buy a fake handbag or a fake t-shirt. And they think, well, it's far cheaper for me to buy this. And the only person I'm stealing from is Burberry or YSL. It's a big designer. They've got enough money. They don't need my money. It's not a problem. It's seen as sort of a victimless crime, but it's not, is it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the example that you just made, I keep hearing them often, right? When people want to justify counterfeiting, justify buying fakes, they always refer to big brands. Ah, it's nothing. Just a bag, right? Would you use the same argument for fake pharmaceuticals or fake spare parts or fake food or fake mobile phone or a battery? These arguments will not hold, right? Or even for apparel items, how about SMEs, small companies that have invested lots of money in research, in uh, design, right? And now profits of their investment are just stolen. I made several interviews with uh, Italian small companies that were successful on the market, and now they struggle with well unfair competition from those that basically well steal their ideas and concepts. Those shall not steal, period. And is it stealing? I think that's perhaps where people misunderstand. What exactly do we mean by IP crime? And in what sense is it theft? Well, uh, you said IP crime, right? In this term, P means property, intellectual property, something that you own. And if you own something and someone uses this without your permission, it's it's theft. It's, uh, it's an act of stealing, right? You have patents, you have trademarks. If someone abuses this intellectual property, it's an act of theft. What are the most common 
versions of IP crime that we're seeing at the moment? What are the most common forms of theft and what are things that are most commonly being counterfeited? Because as you say, it's not just clothing and handbags. We're talking about things like drugs and foods that could actually be potentially very dangerous. Oh, absolutely. So the most common form of of IP crime is counterfeiting, right? I sell uh, a product X telling that this was made by Acme, whereas in fact it was not. It was made by Piotr, haha, and it's of much lower quality and not compliant with norms. As for what products are counterfeit, what products are fake, everything, every single product with a trademark becomes a target for counterfeiters. You cannot say, oh, it's just luxury goods or it's, oh, it's just, you know, consumer goods. Everything, ranging from, well, luxury bags, uh, luxury watches, through pharmaceuticals, toys, cosmetics. I mean, all these goods where companies need to spend lots of money on tests, on, well, safety, through, well, B2B products, batteries, spare parts, ICT components, everything. In our data, we see even counterfeit fresh food, cement, or guitars. The other aspect, of course, of counterfeiting crime is what it funds. And I think a lot of people perhaps don't understand how counterfeiting crime and and things like the industry, the trade and fakes are funding other crimes. What are the biggest issues with what these products are funding? Where do we see the money trail leading from these fake trades? That's an excellent question. And well, being an economist, I don't think I am in a position to tell things that cannot be measured, right? So let me say something about what we observe. Firstly, counterfeiting is a very well-organized business. These are not, you know, moms and pops doing their stuff in the backyard. No, it's well-organized, I would say, gangs managing everything from production through logistics to distribution. It's a very well-organized business with the criminals playing active role in this. We have also signals from our colleagues at, uh, at Interpol or Europol or Unicree that actually organize, well, international criminal organizations are driving this. Because, as I said at the beginning, it's money that is easy, safe and big, right? And it attracts attention of big international criminal organizations. And so what should people be considering if they are walking past someone that's holding up a product that they think, it seems too good to be true, it's too cheap, it looks good, I want it, I'm going to buy it. What should they be thinking to themselves before they do that about what they're actually funding? Well, firstly, it's crime, right? This is not victimless crime, it's a crime. Second, well, I never buy counterfeits, but I cannot say I was never deceived. So this is just a matter of awareness. I should be aware that actually this is not funny, this is not a small thing. There is a criminal gang behind it. And if I decide to buy it, I buy a product of unknown origin. I have no clue who made it. I have no clue what this money will make, where this money will go. So maybe better not. And those are the thoughts of Peter Strazowski, an economist and head of the Working Unit on Countering Illicit Trade with the Paris-based Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, otherwise known as the OECD. This is The Agenda.
Right, we are on with the agenda. If you were listening earlier, you'd know we've been discussing counterfeit goods this morning. We're now moving on to a different kind of fake, fake property ads. Have you ever inquired about a house or apartment you fancy the look of, only to be told it's not available after all, and then to be offered something else, probably more expensive, possibly totally different as well? It's annoying. Isn't it? Turns out it's also very common here as well. Last week, the Dubai Land Department gave agents three days to remove all their inaccurate listings from the web. At the time, uh, Sharam Safai, partner at Afridi and Angel Legal Consultants, told the Business Breakfast here on Dubai I 103.8 it was becoming a significant issue. If you went around the websites that they mention, the various websites that, that uh, list the sales and the rentals, you would see that a significant number of them are this way when you make the phone call. And they say, I'm sorry, it was just rented, it's not available. It cannot be that so many of them at the same time are not available when the ad is there. And so if you look at the stats, they were saying about 30% of them were fake. I don't know. I haven't done the stats. But based on what I saw, it was slightly higher than that. Mm. It was quite bad. A day or two later, Rira issued a circular to all agents in Dubai outlining further details on that original warning. And officials there said the agents behind out-of-date, fake or inaccurate listings could now face fines, anything up to 50,000 dirhams, and suspension of their licence if those ads weren't removed within five days. Now, though, those deadlines are upon us. But how common an issue is it? And can it really be sorted within days? Joined now in the studio by Andrew Elliott. Andrew's a real estate agent at Chesterton's, also by producer Jen Crichton, who moved house last year. Jen, you've been in the market recently. Does this ring true? Absolutely. I can't tell you how many places we rang for and then were told they weren't available. And what surprised me was often the agents didn't have anything remotely similar. It wasn't like they'd go, okay, we don't have that one, but we've got one above or below or two doors down. It was, but we've got this one in Business Bay. And you go, that's the opposite end of the city. (laughs) That's no use to me. Or we've got this one, but it's 50,000 a year more. What appears to have happened is that I didn't get any properties, but my phone number ended up somewhere because Ah. then I just, well, even now, just constant phone calls, constant messages. Are you looking to buy a property? Are you looking to rent a property? And you go, please take me off your list. But it's, it's been almost daily since then. And it made me wonder whether these adverts were kind of phishing, I guess, if they're just there to get your numbers or if it's just they've been left behind and you you're just unlucky i don't know but certainly it seems to have landed my phone number in a few databases that i would frankly rather it wasn't in to be quite honest let's ask andrew uh, of chesterton's he's in studio with us good to see you as always good morning tom uh common experience um i think over the last year the market has generated a lot more of these listings i think there's a huge amount of new agents in dubai everybody's trying to earn their quick buck um and i think because of that there is agents who are potentially leaving listings online a lot longer they should hoping to get that lead and then being able to work that lead into a property somewhere um it is a frustrating thing for us as well because obviously clients turn around and say they they've seen a property in the same building at a lower price um and then you're competing against that listing where we've got a genuine listing that is available for lease they're then saying well i've seen one upstairs or downstairs at a lot lower price you've got your prices wrong 
And I think the other thing it does is it also shows the lack of transparency in pricing in properties. You've got a lot of agents listing old properties and then clients looking at that going, well, that's my budget. They then look at new properties that have just come to the market and going, well, why is it 20% higher? And you're like, this is the market price. These are the transactions we've done over the last couple of months. These are the prices they've been done at. And they're like, well, I've found this listing online. And the agent's then done exactly what they've done to you, Jen, is rushed them around the whole city showing them um, different options in hope that they can actually get a deal out of it. Let's talk numbers because Sharam there mentioning that he reckons the the problem could be as many as the third of all listings. Is that a bit north of the mark? Um, I think if you look in some communities, there potentially is that. Um, you may find across communities that are in high demand and also com- communities that are potentially moving very quickly. I think you do probably see a lot of listings hanging around that maybe should have been taken down. Um, we have seen, obviously, people putting photos of properties where you look at the property and you've got a Burj Burj Al Arab in the background (laughs) and it's supposed to be in Jamira village and you're thinking well there's no way Burj Al Arab is that close to you so there is a lot of sort of telltale signs that these properties are potentially not correct Um, I'm just trying to get I said the simplest question here is, is is why 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 are agents why are agencies doing this in the first place i mean again is it fishing for, for for data and details that can be sold on as jen might be suggesting there is it just laziness i mean what is it i think it's more to do with agents are being put or having pressure put on them to to display listings by their management um and obviously for them they're here typically most agents are on commission only so for them they want to show that they are actually achieving some sort of headway in the market um i think if you look at who's doing it it tends to be the lesser known real estate companies but i mean i speak to my agents all the time and i'm like you're actually just costing us a lot of money to market a property that doesn't exist that you can't transact on that you're now going to create a lead that you're going to run around the city hoping to facilitate facilitate don't waste your time focus on a true tenant and a true listing that you can actually close a deal on we are going to have more on this subject uh, throughout the course of this morning uh, andrew's kind enough to stay with us uh, jen's going to be sharing her thoughts as well on the matter you're listening to the uae's number one talk radio station this is the agenda on dubai i 103.8 talking fakes this morning we've moved on from counterfeiting to fake advertising or rather fake listings uh, online specifically property listings why rira issuing a circular to all agents here in dubai outlining further details uh, on their previous warnings officials saying that the agents behind out-of-date fake or inaccurate property listings could now face fines of up to fifty thousand dirhams and suspension of their licenses if those ads weren't removed within five days now those deadlines are upon us how common an issue is it and can it really be sorted within days well number of people getting involved with the conversation this morning thank you uh, david for your text message uh, it's simple really property has changed landlords illegally put up prices for new incoming tenants knowing they can't do it to existing tenants agents are also uh, being a little bit lax and list other agent properties to garner bites uh, we own and out of curiosity i asked three well-known property companies to quote my property value for rental i got three quotes wildly different uh, fake listings also continue to happen because the industry through online companies uh, is massively underregulated. is that fair let's find out from man who's in in the industry at the moment. Andrew Elliott from Chestons is with us here in studio. Um, is regulation to blame here? Um, I think 
we've obviously the land department coming out and threatening to block everybody's listings within three days has made a big difference. We have seen quite a few uh, or seen a big drop in listings online. I don't know that it's regulation, but I do think maybe the portals are a little bit to blame here because they're out selling massive packages. You've subscribed to a package for a year. You've paid or you're paying your money on a monthly basis. You need stock to go online. Um, is there a way that the government could pay, potentially work with the portals to maybe cancel any Form Fs or properties that are listed for sale once the Form F is signed? The other hand is obviously as soon as an Ijari is listed um, or an Ijari is, is made, the property should automatically fall offline. Mm. How you do that on the tech side, I have no idea. But that would obviously clear up a, lo- a lot of listings online. <laughs> Jen, you've been through the process, the, 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 the house hunting process recently as well. I mean, again, how do – and Andrew made a very interesting point a little bit earlier on. You know, if you've got somewhere being listed in JVC with Burj Khalifa views or something like that, it's wrong. You know, that, you don't have to be Einstein to work that one out. But again, were there sort of th- – through the process, were there certain things that you were looking out for as p- potential red flags? I mean, I don't think red flags. I would like to think I would have spotted if there was a fake view. But, I mean, we were looking close to school. You know, I think a lot of people, when you're moving, you've got certain areas that you want to be in. And what I found really frustrating was you would see properties come up. They would be within your budget. You would phone for them. It was close to the school. And then an agent would say, oh, well, that one's gone. But we've got this one down the road. And it would be massively more expensive, as Andrew was saying. You know, clearly... If an ad's old, I can understand why the price would be inaccurate. But if you're responding to that ad and you say to them, well, no, my budget is X. And they go, well, I've got this and it's Y. That's no use to me. Mm. But what really annoyed me was that then, because they knew you were looking for a property, you would just get phone call after phone call after phone call after phone call. And I still get them now. And we've been in the property for eight months and I still get property. You're looking for a property here. And it's like, well, no, I'm not. Please take my number off your list. But it's just endless. And I think where your number has been recycled is not being recycled through the agent. Yeah. It's potentially been recycled through either um, Do or somebody like that. Because, I mean, myself, I get I must get five, six calls a day from Do asking me if I need home services. And I haven't moved houses <laughs> you know for five to? years. <laughs> well, I haven't moved house for five years. And, and my off, I've got investment offices. The tenants are in there. So I don't see why Do would be calling me on a daily basis to offer me home services. So there's definitely data, I think, being leaked um, from somewhere. Yeah. Question. Um I'm just trying to look at it from different angles. And we've had a look at it from a regulation point of view. We know that a lot of work's being done. And as you quite rightly say, Andrew, you know, DLD are taking a very proactive step here. We've had a look at it from... um from the from the consumer point of view, and poor them, you know, not getting what is promised, etc. A lot of people sort of focusing in on the brokers and the agencies as well. But is this sort of just a victim of the success of the of, of the industry as a whole at the moment? If you've got these anecdotal stories of people walking around with suitcases full of cash, etc. I mean, all you want to do is get people through the door, isn't it? First and foremost. And I, and I think, like I say, there has been a huge amount of people moving to Dubai, getting into the real estate industry. I believe at the moment we've We've got something like 16,000 bro- registered mm. brokers in Dubai. And I mean, I've been in the market since 2005. And I think I'd, I'd like to say I don't think we've been over 10,000 brokers before. So it just shows the amount of people that are willing to 
try their luck in brokerage um, and and make some money. We do get, obviously, as soon as the market is good, you get a lot of people jumping industries thinking it's a good time to get in real estate um, and vice versa when the market changes, potentially all of those people go back to salaried roles and try and work out what, what where they want to go in life. Or, as you and I can both attest, you know, you get a real correction, uh, not just in the property industry, but in industry as a whole. And as uh, you know, when we look back at 2008, 2009, there was there was a lot of people that left the property business here then. There was indeed. I mean, and I, and I think when the market is in what we call a bull run at the moment, mm. definitely there is a huge attraction to get into real estate. And like you say, when the market turns, all of those people suddenly leave the country, mm. move, move back into a salaried role, um, look at other options in life because they haven't made enough money to support themselves through a downturn. Mm. And I mean, the market will make money or a good agent in the market will make money in an upturn and a downturn because obviously people still look to move. You get an internal migration in Dubai where people are actually sitting there going, we, we were pushed out of the city in the last boom. Now that prices have dropped, I can move back into the city. Mm. Um, and that obviously then changes the market. So people, people move for all different reasons. But one of the big ones is obviously in Dubai, people are here to save money. Can I ask, when you're saying that there's 6,000 new agents potentially in the market, to what degree does the training that they're given vary? So, I mean, here in Chesterton's, all of our agents go through a two-week training course. Um, We've also got very experienced management who look after their agents on pretty much a, I want to say, handheld basis, um, teaching them the ropes. But if you look at a lot of companies, especially the smaller companies, agents probably walk in today, they get thrown a data sheet and say, start calling. Mm. Um, And they're then in a position that they're sitting there going, well, don't know any different. This is what I've been told to do. And if this is how I'm going to get my success, then this is what I've got to do. And I think that's where it comes back to the recruitment process, looking at the companies that you are looking to work for, seeing what they are offering, instead of just jumping into any old real estate company. It's a fascinating subject. Um, Listen, it is something that we see every time the market is booming, as Andrew quite rightly said, a bit of a bull run at the moment, and that certainly seems to be the case. Uh, The bulls are still running, aren't they? I think the bulls are still running. I mean, I look at the transactions, I look at the inquiries we're getting through, um, and I sort of feel at the moment we're definitely still running. So beware the bulls on the main arteries and thoroughfares of the UAE. Listen, I can't thank you enough, Andrew, for taking time out of a Monday morning to join us as well. Really appreciate your time. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Yeah, welcome back to The Agenda. It's been a while since the safety of the COVID vaccine was a topic of daily discussion, but with the vaccines now having been widely used across the world for a few years, researchers finally have a vast amount of data and information from which to examine the efficacy and the safety of the jabs. New study involving an enormous cohort of more than 99 million people from across the world has found that, broadly speaking, benefits of the vaccines has greatly outweighed the risks for the vast majority of people. With that said, researchers have also found two new and exceptionally rare side effects, one neurological disorder and one involving spinal cord inflammation that they say can now be linked to the AstraZeneca vaccine specifically. However, Scientists also believe that the risk of those side effects are greater from COVID infection than from the vaccine. So should we 
be concerned. Well, to fill us in on that research, join now on Teams by the co-director of the Global Vaccine Data Network and a professor of child health informatics at the University of Melbourne. Uh, so a warm welcome to the show, a warm welcome to, Dubai for, to Professor Jim Buttery. Jim, thanks so much indeed for your time this morning. Thanks very much, Tom. Good morning. I say it, morning here. Obviously not morning over there. So thank you very much indeed for staying up nice and late for us as well. Listen, uh, the, uh, let's get your thoughts uh, on this la- these latest findings. First of all, 99 million people. That is a huge study. Can you give us a little indication of what you found, the broad brushstrokes? Absolutely. So the first study we did involving, as you say, 99 million people from 13 different countries, essentially looked to see whether the rate of certain side of certain events occurring in the six weeks after vaccination was more common than what we would have expected for people of the same age before the COVID pandemic. And so what we observed for a number of already known side effects like myocarditis, pericarditis after the mRNA vaccines and Guillain-Barre syndrome and uh, a very rare form of blood clot after the AstraZeneca vaccine, that our study was able to pick up these rare side effects, showing that we can now, with so many large numbers, pick up very rare side effects. We also detected, as you described, two very rare new associations with the AstraZeneca vaccine, acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, or ADEM, and a spinal cord condition called transverse myelitis. We then went on with a second study using a database of just under 7 million Victorians in Australia to confirm with the independent data set that that association did appear to be real and was slightly increased after the AstraZeneca vaccine. I do want to point out that these are extremely rare events. So the increased risk, for example, of Aden was less than one case per every million doses. And just to that end, and just to, 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 to clarify as well, because people will hit, they pick on phrases, don't they? Uh, and I wonder if whether we just need to temper uh, the sort of reading of those phrases. The discovery of new side effects could sound worrying to others, but is it? First of all, I think it's important to show that we can now pick up very rare associations. The first study doesn't prove side effects at all. All it shows is that some events are more common after vaccination than happened historically. But we also know that COVID infection itself increased the risk of many of those. For example, we know that the risk of heart inflammation after COVID infection is much higher than the risk after vaccination. So we already know that these vaccines are life-saving vaccines. And for all of these vaccines we tested, the benefits far outweigh the risks. However, we can also reassure the community now we have the ability to detect even very small risks so that people are properly informed. To that end, and I suppose a lot of people will pick up on, as you said, side effects and risks, etc. But also with the data that you now have at hand, the time that has passed, I mean, the vaccine rollout initially was one of the largest ever, if not the largest ever known to mankind. Have we learned a lot? Have there have been learnings as well about the benefits uh, and, of course, the inherent risks of such a huge global vaccine rollout? I think what we've learned is that, well, we've always known that no matter how good your clinical trials are, they're not simply not large enough to pick up very rare benefits or very rare um, adverse events. 
And that's why it's critical that we keep looking very hard after vaccines are introduced in the community. And as you described, the COVID vaccines were the biggest vaccine implementation in our history, more than 13 billion doses to date. So it's a massive number of doses. And the important thing is that we use our ever developing data systems to make sure we're collecting important information about the benefits and the risks of vaccination so that decision makers and the community are properly informed. And that data shows that the benefits significantly outweigh any risks. You highlight the two new exceptionally rare, must hasten to add, side effects that you've, you, you've, you've noted in this research. To that, contrary to that, what are, the, what are the most common side effects that you and your colleagues are seeing? So, well, the most common side effects that people experience are similar to many other vaccines, which is the local side effects of you may have a sore arm and some swelling and some redness after vaccination, or you may get a headache and have a bit of a fever for a couple of days after vaccination. Those were not the sort of side effects that we need to look for in these massive studies. What we were looking for were conditions of interest to that weren't easy in the clinical trial simply because they didn't have enough numbers um, to pick out and things like rare forms of blood clots, inflammation of the heart, etc., and very rare neurological conditions. Jim, at a time on this occasion, we could talk for a lot longer, but thank you so much indeed, A, for the research that you and your team have put together, B, for your reading of it, and C, for uh, staying up uh, late uh, to address the issue here in Dubai. Uh, reassured by the research, and one can guarantee that the research will continue. Professor Jim Buttery, co-director of the Global Vaccine Data Network, Professor of Child Health Informatics, University of Melbourne. 